Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the blessing and gift of another day of life, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful rain, Lord, and the way that it is an answer to so many prayers. We pray, Lord God, that you would water the parched and dry land of our hearts this morning, that you would speak to us, Lord, that as this fragrant offering is being laid before us by Mary, Lord, that you would fill us with a deep and powerful desire to worship you, to give you praise and glory for what you have done in our lives as well. Pray that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, that you would reveal to us the magnitude of the gift that's been offered us in your blood. And we pray that you would place your word upon our lips and help us to be faithful in proclaiming it, Lord, so that we all might grow close to you and that others might be brought into your kingdom as well. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It is great to see you all today. Well, are there certain smells in your life that you smell and remind you of, like, great events in your past? Right, maybe just, um, you know, every once in a while you'll smell a perfume that smells like maybe your mother or grandmother or someone who used to be tender with you. Or uh, Do you have that? Yeah, or maybe certain foods that are cooked that take you back to a time or that remind you of an event that was significant in your life or a time that was significant that make you feel comfortable, warm famished, whatever it happens to be, right? I mean, we have this, smells are one of the most um, difficult things to define because they just come to us and suddenly they bring this rush sometimes of emotion and memory, don't they? I love how that is. I remember almost nothing from my childhood living in Nepal. We lived there for two and a half years when I was young. I remember almost nothing from that time, but every once in a while I'll smell a smell that reminds me of being there. I don't remember any images. I don't remember anything. Just that smell brings me back to that place. It's really an interesting experience, that. Now, in our gospel passage for today, we have an amazingly odoriferous act of beauty uh, that we get to um, be a part of by it sharing with us in this gospel. Now, our gospel passage is said in such a way that it's sandwiched between two stories of death and life. Our passage locates itself in its first verse by saying, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So who was Lazarus? The one who was raised from the dead, right? So you've got that event on one end of it. That's happened in the past. And then it's six days before the Passover. What is the Passover? Not everybody at once. Come on. That's right. That's right. And it was the day of deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and then their move toward the promised land, right? The breaking of the bonds of slavery. And we know that this Passover will be very special, this one that's going to take place in six days, because it will mean the deliverance of all through the blood of Jesus Christ. So there in between these two great events, death and life, death and life, comes our event. And we're in Bethany. Bethany is this village which is close to Jerusalem. I think it's like two miles away from Jerusalem. And they're in a home. In our particular passage, the owner of the home is not identified. The passage does say that Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus. It's not saying the house of Lazarus. Bethany's the town of Lazarus. It's the town that Lazarus is in. 
Um, in the other Gospels that have what we believe to be the same account, uh, Matthew and Mark, the home is identified as the home of Simon the leper. Um, so he was, you know, lepers like jump out of trees with spots. Oh, that's a leopard. Oh, yeah, that's not true. Sorry, forget that. But Simon the leper is the home that it was set in. And so in this home, they're having a dinner. Uh, Martha is serving, of course, right? That's what Martha does. She serves. She makes sure everything is prepared and everyone is comfortable. Uh, Lazarus is also serving. This walking, talking, living proof of the power of God to heal. He is serving them this meal as well. They're reclining at the table. And so the way it was is you'd like all lean toward the table so that you could reach and get food from it, but like your legs would be away from the table. And Jesus is there reclining at table, and Mary comes, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. She comes and takes a pound of costly perfume, which is made from pure nard. This was precious stuff. It came from northern India, and you'd think it was easy to get things from northern India in the first century AD? No. can't imagine. Yeah, Amazon.com, right? And back then, Amazon.com was actually run by Amazons. Right, those giant warrior women? Right, and they could get stuff to you on time, I'll tell you what. But don't complain about your delivery because they will take your head off. Right, so yes, uh, I mean, it would have been just, it's just prohibitively expensive to get something like this. Such a precious and costly gift. So Mary takes this precious jar of perfume and pours it over the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. Now, please let any awkwardness of the situation go out of your head, right? When one is relating to God, there is none of the weirdness that can exist with other human relationships, right? Like, this is not appropriate for the workplace, right? But in relation to God, like, that is a very different thing. There was none of the weird mixed emotions that we normally deal with in normal life. We certainly don't see anyone else in the narrative implying that this is inappropriate for those reasons either. Right? Instead, we have Judas complaining about other things, but nobody complaining about impropriety here. The reality is, is that one cannot express too much love for Jesus. You just can't. You can't express too much love and gratitude for God. So Mary pours on the gratitude. And what is Mary thankful for? Well, for one, her brother's life. Right? Her beloved brother who was dead for four days and who Jesus made alive again, that's something to be thankful for, don't you think? And another is her own faith. Remember, she is the one who sat at the feet of Jesus while Martha served this other, another time and listened to Jesus, listened to his words, came to know him better, came to love him more. Right? Mary is grateful for so much in relationship to Jesus Christ. As Mary poured out her perfume on Jesus, our passage says the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Can you imagine how this house smelt for like weeks afterwards? A pound of perfume poured out. I mean, it must have just been intoxicating in the air, maybe suffocating a little bit too. The intensity of that fragrance. The air was filled with her gift, and it was undeniable for anyone in the house that Mary was anointing Jesus. This smell, though, brought up different reactions for different people. It triggered different emotions. Some understood her gift as one of thanksgiving. 
Jesus saw certainly the Thanksgiving piece in it, but also as a, he, he understood it as a preparation for his own death. She was preparing him to be buried. But Judas, when Judas smelled that smell and saw the value of that perfume, he saw it as a waste. That's right. A waste. Why would anyone waste their money on this man? He attempts, though, to cover up that desire um, with a concern for the poor and to condemn that action on this point, right? Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Was 300 denarii a lot of money? It was a lot of cash, right? Because a denarii was a day's, like the average wage of a day's laborer, right? So almost a year's worth of wages for an average laborer at that time, right? That's a decent chunk of change. It's a lot of money she just poured out into something like that. Something that would be here today and gone tomorrow. So Judas, though, was not just concerned about the poor, was he? Was Judas concerned about the poor at all, maybe? Probably not, right? Because John gives us this beautiful editorial comment that says Judas was stealing money. Judas was the treasurer, and he had his hand in the till. Right? He was siphoning off of money that was coming in to support the ministry of Jesus and was taking it and using it for himself. That's who Judas was. So who was Judas thinking of when he was critiquing Mary for this offering? He was thinking about himself. He was thinking about himself. He's like, man, 300 denarii? Well, I could got some nice sandals, nice robe. I'd be rolling in style. Right? If only she had given it to the ministry instead of wasting it on Jesus, it would have worked out better for me. He was thinking about himself. He didn't want it wasted on Jesus or on the poor. But he was willing to use either, either of them as an excuse for his greed. In response to Judas's comment, though, Jesus says, leave her alone. I love the directness of that. Leave her alone. Let her do what she's doing. Let her give her offering. No matter how extravagant you might think it is, let her do it. Leave her alone. Because she bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Jesus defends her action by saying that it was bought for the day of his burial. It was bought to prepare him uh, after his death. Obviously, this day is not the day of his burial, right? Because he's not in Jerusalem. It's still six days till the Passover. Uh, and, but Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem triumphantly and then be betrayed and crucified on the eve of the Passover. This is therefore a time for her, potentially the last time, for her to give thanks for Jesus while he is still alive. That's right. She wanted to give him his flowers while he was alive, not put him on the casket. That's right. Absolutely. She wanted to prepare him for his death and express her gratitude to him while he was still with them. She wanted to show. She wanted to show her love for Jesus while he was still there present with her and she could touch him. Feel him and see the response on his face to the offering she was giving. She wanted to seize that moment and give him this gift. And what a beautiful gift it is. 
Jesus then says, You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, people have used this verse out of context to say, like, you're always going to have the poor, so we'll never solve the problem, so we might as well not bother. Right? Is that what Jesus is articulating? No, he's not. He's referencing Deuteronomy 15, verse 11, which says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother to the needy and to the poor in your land. The hearers would have known the context. They would have known the rest of the verse, which doesn't say to ignore the poor because they're always with you, but rather to always be generous. So Jesus is articulating that we should extend our hands to the poor, but this is a special circumstance in which he is only there for a little while. And so Mary can be exuberant in her gift towards him. Now, the key to this is that Jesus articulates that he is going. He's only going to be with them for a little while. Mary has seized a fleeting opportunity to give thanks to God. She has taken this chance to express her love and thanks and not let it pass by. Looking back in your own life, do you have moments when you've let an opportunity pass by that you've regretted. A word unspoken, forgiveness not extended, confession not made. Mary, by the grace of God, seizes this opportunity and shows her love and gratitude to the Lord while she has the chance. How do we respond to Mary's act? Do we look down on her as not living up to the expectations of proper behavior? Do we see her gift as a waste, resources misallocated? Or do we see her act as one of beauty that reveals deep love for the Lord without fear of expressing it? Mary didn't really care what the other people in the room thought about her. All she cared about was knowing how Jesus, knowing that Jesus knew how she felt about him. She wanted him to know how deeply he was loved by her. It didn't matter if other people grimaced or looked away or critiqued her behavior. For her, all that mattered was showing Jesus that she loved him. Now, I began by speaking about the power of smells to bring about an emotional response and the way they can take us back or they can bring about feelings of joy or peace or comfort or unpleasant feelings as well. But here we have something different. The emotional response to Jesus brings about this fragrance. Mary loved Jesus, and because she loved him, she poured this perfume on him. Right, And so her love for him would always be associated with that smell of that perfume. It was because she loved him that she gave this offering. She had sat at his feet. She had been taught by him. He had brought her brother Lazarus back to life. He was her Lord and Savior. And she therefore gave him this precious gift of thanksgiving and prepared him for his death. Now, we aren't Mary. But how do we express our love for the Lord? Are we extravagant with him? Are we kind, loving, expressive of our gratitude? 
Are we generous with our Savior? Or are we restrained? Do we hold back? Do we let propriety or what we think is a a decent way of expressing our Christian love for Jesus, do we let that hold us back from truly showing him how thankful we are for what he has done for us? How much we love him and his presence in our life? How much we appreciate him walking with us every step of the day? How much we value his blood poured out for us on the cross? How do we respond to Jesus? And what does it reveal about where our hearts are and where our values lie and what's important to us? And then following from that, what does that expression lead us to do? Right? Once we have established that we love Jesus Christ more than anything else and we appreciate his grace and mercy given to us, how then do we go out in the world and relate to other people? Do we treat them with kindness, with generosity, with an open hand, as that passage from Deuteronomy speaks about? Are we generous with them and loving and compassionate where they are, rather than expecting them to be in a different place so that they can make us happy? Where are our hearts towards our brothers and sisters? Are we changed by this love of God? And does it impact the way we care for other people? My hope for us is that we would be people who, by the grace of God, see the profundity of the gift that Jesus Christ has given us. That we would be able to see with eyes wide open the amazing gift of the redemption which was purchased for us by our Savior Jesus Christ. And as we encounter him and his gift face to face, may it change the way we see other people. May it change the way we interact with them. And may we live our lives like Mary, fully expressing our love for our Savior and seizing those opportunities which are placed before us to share a word of hope, a word of love and grace and mercy, and a word of compassion with those other people who are walking this journey with us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your blood poured out on the cross, Lord. Lord, you made that offering because we couldn't do it on our own. Lord, we could not muster up in ourselves proper behavior. Lord, we are selfish at the very core. And we pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us for this. That you would forgive us for, like Judas, thinking of ourselves and how things will benefit us instead of thinking of you and praising you above all else. Help us, Lord God, to walk in love in this world. Help us to act gracefully and graciously, Lord, as we deal with one another. Lord, and we pray that you would help us as we go out into this world to hold fast to you to give praise to you, Lord, and to be covered with the scent of the fragrance of praise, Lord, which you have bathed us in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.